I'm going to talk about how to learn philosophy, but I'm going to start first with why to learn philosophy. Why learn anything about thinking methods? Why learn about how to learn, how to reason, how to evaluate ideas correctly? Because you'll do a better job at those things if you have some idea of what methods to use and how to organize your activities when you're doing it instead of just winging it. If you just go by your intuition, what you think common sense is, what you picked up here and there, you're not going to be as good at reason, truth-seeking, objective thinking, learning, etc. as if you actually learn something about how they work. And so you can consciously um, analyze what you're doing, why you're doing it, does that make sense to you, are there any changes you should make? And if you run into a problem, what's the cause of the problem? Uh, what are some other options you could do? Because one of the problems with people who do things uh, based on intuition and common sense and stuff like that, and they don't actually learn it, is they can only do it one way, normally. You know, they just have the one way that feels natural to them. And then if it doesn't work, they get stuck. Whereas if you actually study things, you can learn several different ways of doing something. And each one can have advantages and disadvantages. And if you get stuck, you can try a different one. You need some knowledge of reason, philosophy, how to think, that kind of stuff. No matter what your goals are, if they're even a little bit intellectual. And even if they're not very intellectual, like even if you want to be a car mechanic, if you're good at thinking, you could be like a really good car mechanic. You could figure out which methods of car maintenance are the best ones and stuff like that. Like I'm sure there's plenty of room for optimization and improvement in that field. If you want to be an average car mechanic, you don't need philosophy. You can just be like a normal person. But if you want to like rise to the top of your field, then um, actually thinking well is the thing that could set you apart. And it could let you... Um... So some people end up at the top of the field by luck or something goes well and they're not quite sure what. Like it can happen unintentionally, accidentally. You know, a bunch of people try and some are better than others. Um, you know, they're just more talented for whatever reason. So if you are a car mechanic, um, you might get lucky and be at the top of the field. But if you want to get, if you want to rise on purpose, then thinking methods can help you. Um, they can give you a way to do it by design as a goal that you work towards instead of just hoping it happens somehow. And if you get into more intellectual fields, uh, like if you want to be a scientist, then this kind of thing applies more. If you want to be an economist, if you want to deal with politics and figuring out which political ideas are any good, um, then you, you really need to think and understand ideas and understand how to evaluate ideas and how to debate ideas, um, not just with other people, but with yourself. You know, you get a bunch of ideas and you're not sure which one's correct. And how do you sort that out? So I've convinced some people that philosophy is important, at least part of philosophy, the part about like how to reason, how to think, critical thinking skills. Some people don't need convincing. Um, it's reasonably common that people value those things or say they do. Um, you know, it's not a majority opinion uh, who gives it more than like the slightest lip service, but there's a fair amount of people who care about those things some and make some sort of effort to get involved. So the next thing I want to talk about is how to philosophy. Um, how do you make progress? Because people just, uh, they read a few books, they listen to a few podcasts, they feel smart, they think they understand some things, and not a lot comes of it. Um, there's no there's no eureka moment. There's no um, now there's a big breakthrough moment. You know, they go on with their lives. Philosophy is not their profession. It's not their like main thing. And they they apply a few ideas to what they're doing, and maybe it helps a bit. There isn't like a big breakthrough usually. So there's a couple things going on there. One is that most philosophy ideas in our culture are really quite bad. 
Um, a lot of the experts, the people with PhDs and so on, they're just terrible. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the books that try to help you with these things and teach you are really bad as well. They're not all labeled philosophy, by the way. Um, some of them are labeled self-help books or critical thinking skills or other stuff kind of like that. But it, it's still the same genre of thing, like how do you learn better? How do you think better? How do you judge ideas better? So whatever they call it, um, I call it philosophy. The, the terms aren't important, it's just philosophy is the, the best word and it has a very long history and um, there isn't a good uh, really generic replacement except like just studying reason, that also works. Anyway, so a lot of the advice is bad. And it's not just the, the fancy intellectuals and the academics who are bad. Um, it's not just like the people who study Kant and Plato who are, who are bad and will mislead you and misguide you. Um, you know, most of the self-help books are bad, most of the pop psychology, um, most of the life hacks, all of that kind of thing are also pretty bad. Um, how bad they are varies. Like, some of it is just uh, worse than nothing. You know, there's a fair amount that's just, you'd be better off with nothing instead of that. Um, but there's also a fair amount that can help you like a bit. Um, it's not gonna lead to a big breakthrough, it's not gonna make a huge difference, but it's better than nothing. Um, and maybe it can give you an edge. Like there's plenty of stuff that could help get you from being like a 50th percentile person up to like a 90th percentile person. So maybe that's pretty good, but, um, being like dumber than one in 10 people is, is actually, I mean, most people aren't that bright. There, there's a lot of room at the top to, to be better than that. Some people uh, read some of the things that I think are really good, like a David Deutsch book or a Karl Popper book or an Ayn Rand book. Um, and then of those people, some of them like it. They have a positive opinion of it. They think it was good. They think they learned from it. Um, and then of those people, it still doesn't usually accomplish a lot. And it still usually doesn't make a big difference in their life. So I want to talk about, about like what goes wrong and how to do better. Aimed especially at the people who are actually trying in a, a more significant way. And uh, some of the material that they try with is uh, the stuff I think is actually good. Like, they're not excluding the things I think are good. Like you can try a variety of stuff, um, but if you're willing to try some of the things I, I recommend or like or, or think are correct, then I'm more talking to those people. Because there's some people who are like, well, I only read inductivist books. I'm not gonna read Popper. He was anti-induction, so he was wrong, so he was stupid, so they just like ignore him. You know, if someone's gonna be like that close-minded, um, well, I have other material arguing with them, but this podcast is not focused on that. So one of the big ways people go wrong is they read books and then they think they understood it. And that pretty much doesn't work. If you read a book, um, your expectation should be that you understood, say, 10% of it. If you felt like you understood it. If you felt really confused and stuff, then maybe you understood 1%. But if it went pretty well, um, 10%. You missed most of it. You didn't get most of it. There's Just reading it through is not enough. So it helps if you take notes. Um, if you like do some outlining. You know, what was each chapter about? How do the chapters fit together? Um, what were some interesting points? What are some highlights? Some good quotes, etc. Like Stuff like that can help. Just ways of paying more attention, giving it more thought. Trying to think to yourself, okay, what problem is this section of the book trying to solve and how does it solve it? Then you go to the next section. All right, what problem is this section trying to solve and how does it solve it? That, um, that problem-oriented approach is Popperian and it's really useful. Anyway, so you do stuff like that and it helps you learn more and maybe, maybe understand 20 or 25% instead of 10%. However, we're all fallible, we all make a lot of mistakes, and especially with um, with really good material that's like really especially great. Um, it's hard to understand, it's different than what you're used to, it's different than what everyone else is saying. So there, there's a bigger gap between it and you. So the best thing to do about mistakes um, is to get help. 
it's not just, you know, try to critically think about it yourself. That's good. You should do that. But find people who already understand it and talk to them and ask them what are your mistakes? What do they think your mistakes are? Um, get feedback. Get external criticism. Um, it's, it's even useful with people who do not already understand the material, like other people who are learning it. They're going to understand some parts you didn't and fail to understand some parts you did understand. So you can help each other. So even if you can't find anyone who already understands it, if you can find anyone who's just trying to learn it, that's also good. And even someone who's not trying to learn it, you could still just like, uh, you know, say what you think the ideas are, like, you know, explain it yourself and see if they agree or disagree and if they have some arguments against it. Um, even that kind of feedback is a lot better than nothing. Um, trying to correct all of your own mistakes is not going to work very well. Like, basically, to learn it all by yourself and correct all your own mistakes, you would have to be pretty much as good of a thinker as the author that you're reading. You know, if you want to understand Karl Popper's philosophy and you have no help from other people, you're just reading the books by yourself, you have to be pretty much as good as Karl Popper. Um, yes, the books give you some help. You know, they're, they're an advantage, a leg up. But they're not that much of an advantage. Um, it's really not that different to have the non-interactive books. Because um, Popper um, had discussions. He had helpers. Uh, he, he knew a lot of very smart people. Um, he had a lot of aids to his thinking. So it's not like he was going it alone. So Popper, like, yes, inventing things in the first place is hard. And there's something significant there. But basically about as smart and wise and whatever and rational as Popper was, um, with all the help and associates he had, if you want to understand his books, um, just reading them and nothing else, you need to be about uh, equal to Popper. That's, that's roughly how hard it is. Um, but if you have associates, if you talk to other people and stuff, then you can be less good than as Popper. Um, but you have the advantage of his books to learn from, as well as other people's books, like David Deutsch's books and my essays and so on. So then you can be not as good as Popper and learn his stuff and, and help grow to become as good as Popper, because like after you learn his stuff, you know, then you'll be a lot closer to him than you were before. So you need every advantage you can get, and the, the best advantage you can get is someone who already knows the material, um, someone who's already figured it out, and who will help you, who will answer questions and tell you places that you're going wrong. Um, those, are, those are the two biggest things that are useful, is if there's a part that confuses you, you ask a question, and um, you, you share what you think it's saying and what you understand, and people can tell you errors. Talking with other people is never going to be foolproof, because some errors are individual. You know, you make an error and someone else makes a different error. But some errors are systematic, like large numbers of people make the same error because it's widespread in our culture. So it's never going to be foolproof, but it helps a lot. And so the best people to talk with are ones who already understand it. Now, how are they going to understand it? Because I was talking about how, you know, if you read the books, it's hard to understand. So... The most common way to find people who understand something really well is uh, you talk to the author. If the author's dead, you talk to people who knew the author. If they're dead, you talk to people who knew people who knew the author. Um, so there can be a tradition, a living tradition, where the author understands it, and then he talks to people and he helps them understand it, and they talk to people and they help them understand it, and then those people talk to more people and help spread the ideas, and so on and so on. Um, so the author is the seed, and then the ideas spread as people have discussions. So if you can find something like that, that is the most helpful thing. Um, sometimes those kinds of things die out, especially with very old ideas. Like, there's no living tradition of understanding Socrates. Um, instead, people have had to take Socrates' books, and only talking with other people who are trying to learn it, um, figure out what it is. Like they've had to reinvent some of the meaning instead of having a direct line of Socrates explained it to Joe, who explained it to Sue, who explained it to Bob, and so on.
a lot of the best ideas are semi-recent, and so some of them have living traditions of people who understand them pretty well. Like with uh, Ludwig von Mises or with Ayn Rand, you can find uh, people who interacted with Ayn Rand or who interacted with Ayn Rand's associates. Um, you can go to the Ludwig von Mises Institute and a lot of the people who write stuff there and you can you can tweet them or find them on Facebook or something like a lot of them have their email address on the website. They're not super accessible, but they're somewhat accessible. And so a lot of them either interacted with Mises or they interacted with uh, some of Mises' students like Rothbard. And with the objectivists, um, you can find a lot of the current uh, people available at objectivist forums. If they didn't know Ayn Rand, they at least have uh, gone to objectivist conferences and uh, had interactions with Leonard Peikoff or Harry Binswanger or other associates of Ayn Rand. So that kind of thing is really helpful. The Fallible Ideas group uh, has people who knew David Deutsch or associated with him or that kind of thing, and also uh, my associates, if, if you want to count that or you're interested in that that I'm also just directly available still. David Deutsch is an interesting case because um, he learned Popper primarily from reading Popper, not from Popper's students. He didn't spend very much time talking with Popper's students, even though they're alive and semi-available. Um, so there's a bit of a Popper living tradition with people like David Miller and Joseph Agassiz, and I think Joe Firestone, and then people who, I'm not sure if uh, exactly which ones knew Popper very well, like if Firestone did or not, but if he didn't, then he knew um, Popper's associates a fair amount at least. And so you'll see that with like Rafe Champion is another one who I don't think he knew Popper, but I think he's uh, interacted a fair amount with Popper's associates, Popper's students, people like that. So David Deutsch, um, reinvented Popper a bit. He 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 read the books, he figured out a lot himself, and created a bit of a, a separate tradition, which I think is superior. Um, I think, like, I don't want to blame Popper. Like, I don't, I think Popper is extremely good, but Popper's students are not nearly as good as him. And that kind of thing is common, unfortunately, that the people in the living tradition, even though they're really useful, um, if they're not the author himself, they're often not nearly as good as the author. Um, because, like, there just aren't that many great people, you know? Most people just aren't going to be, like, the really great ones. Just, like, statistically, you know, there's a lot more uh, well-above-average people than, like, super great people. So usually most of the students of an author are not as good as the author. Like, it, it's rare for someone to find, like, an apprentice who is as good as him uh, if, if he's super great. It's, it's hard to find someone else who's super great. You see that with, uh, with Ayn Rand's students and Mises' students and Popper's students and, and so on. Some ideas do not have a, a lot of living tradition, like Thomas Saws. Um, there's not a lot of, like, forums or websites or whatever related to him. There's you, you can find some people who knew him and talk with him a bit. Like I had some conversations with Robert Spillane, but there's a, there's a lot less of a living tradition there. He's much less famous than Rand or Mises or Popper. Um, I provide a little bit of living tradition there. Um, I had conversations with him for a year. So, uh, you know, that's not nearly as good as if I'd known him 20 years earlier and had 20 years of conversation with him, like being a long-term associate, but at least I was a short-term associate with Saws. So I can provide um, a better perspective on him because I, um, I read a lot of his books and then after each one, I would send him my thoughts on it and then get, you know, his, his comments. So there was a um, a lot of error checking. It wasn't just I read his books and formed my opinions. It was I read his books, I formed my opinions, 
and then I ran him by the actual author um, so that in cases where he disagreed with me, um, he could say something and I could get some feedback. So that's, you know, that's a significant bonus that's helpful for knowing that uh, my interpretation is similar to what he actually meant. Which is not the same as being true, by the way. Like, you know, I could disagree with him and I could be right. But there's some value in figuring out what someone meant. You know, that's also a thing worth doing. You want to know what the author actually meant as one of the ideas you evaluate for potential truth. And if you if you fail to understand what the author meant, you could be missing something. Like, you know, they thought what they meant was good. So it's it's worth figuring out what that is as one of the options for a good idea. Anyway, so the, the most important thing to do is not just read books and try to understand material. Um, and it's exact it's uh exactly the same for other types of material besides books, like essays, articles, podcasts, YouTube videos. You know, anyone, anything where someone's communicating ideas and trying to explain them and teach and that kind of thing. Um, if you're trying to learn ideas, then don't just read or watch or listen, etc. Um, also discuss, especially with people who already know the ideas, or if not that, um, people who are trying to learn the ideas. And if not that, um, just smart people who will share criticism and, you know, tell you why they think you're wrong would be the third best. And to learn important ideas, you need to do this like a lot. Um, it's not, you know, a 100% requirement. It just makes it easier. Um, it helps you learn. So you should do it. You know, there's no reason not to. Um, it's a good thing to do. So like, and the earlier you are in the intellectual in your intellectual career, the more you should be getting feedback. Um, and then once you've gotten feedback for you know thousands of times and for years and years, then you have a much better sense of when to be confident, um, what kind of feedback you'll get on things before you even ask. Um, so you can make better judgments about things. Like you can you can predict feedback. You can expect when people will disagree with you and why. And so the earlier on, though, you you don't know what other people think or what they're going to say nearly as much. So you want to get feedback like very frequently, like say every couple paragraphs would be a completely reasonable um, feedback frequency. You know, you read a couple paragraphs of a book, you talk about it, you get feedback. You read a couple more paragraphs, you talk about it, and get feedback. And then if everyone's agreeing with you and saying, yeah, you're getting it right and so on, then you could, uh, you could start getting feedback less often. You know, you read a few pages before the next feedback. You can start gaining confidence. Um, the less negative feedback you get, then the less often you need to get that feedback. A lot of people, like, they'll read a whole book before getting feedback, and that just doesn't work. Um, even a chapter is just too much material at once for most people in general. But people, for some reason, just really, really want to uh, read books by themselves uh, and then think they understand it and have very little feedback, very little discussion. For some reason. Um, it, it's easier, it's less threatening, it's less challenging. Um, and it seems a lot more successful because there's where there's no negative feedback. So if you take out all the negativity, they just think everything's going great and they're happy. And then if they have discussions, then they got, you know, criticism and negativity and then they feel bad and they think it's not working and that seems less fun to them and stuff like that seems to be a lot of what's going on. Um, and they also, people want to hide their mistakes and not show weakness. So a lot of times people just want to, they want to figure it out first before they discuss it so they don't embarrass themselves. Um, but that's backwards and that just, you know, delays their learning. And then because they delay their learning like that, you know, they never become great and they never gain a lot of confidence. Like it's a, it feeds back on itself. To try to avoid like showing weakness, they set back their learning. So then they have more weakness to avoid showing. Whereas if they were just early on, um, admit they don't know everything and 
and get help, then they would learn more and then they could be more impressive and confident or whatever. Then they, then they could be better and have less weakness to hide. Um, so like hiding your weakness as a way to prolong and expand your weakness, whereas um, having weaknesses pointed out to you is a way to help get rid of them. So the appearance of whether you're weak or not, based on whether you make mistakes in public or whatever, is kind of the opposite of whether you're actually learning and making progress and becoming strong. So people, people massively underestimate how much discussion they need and how much feedback they need and how many mistakes they're making. Um, just the volume of mistakes that have to be corrected for you to learn Popper is like thousands. You're going to make thousands of mistakes before you understand Popper really well. Um, because it's, it's so different than uh, what you learned in childhood, what your intuitions are, etc. So if you want to get good at philosophy, um, either for its own sake or to apply it to whatever field you're interested in, uh, you should read my writing and my book recommendations, and you should read other schools of thought. Um, you should read a variety. So, like, I don't recommend only looking at FI stuff. I just recommend including FI stuff on the list of things you investigate and try out. It's important to have many different perspectives and be familiar with what ideas are out there and, and make your own judgment. Don't just learn one school of thought and then assume it's right and learn all the arguments why it's great. Um, learn many schools of thought and look at things from different angles and compare and and then consider arguments um, about why one school of thought is better than another or why particular claims are incorrect or whatever. And you want to learn how to analyze ideas and debate objectively rather than just you take a side and you try to think of everything that will help that side. That's very bad. Don't do that. Um, you want to seek the truth in an even-handed way where you try to understand, okay, what are all the sides? What did they actually say? Like, you want to understand them um, in, the, in the best way possible. Give them the benefit of the doubt uh, temporarily and, and see what they're about instead of dismissing them early. And then when, once you can actually fairly you know, state them in a way that their advocates would agree with, um, you know, state them about as well as their, their own advocates do, then you're in a much better position to criticize them and judge them and, and know if your criticism and negative judgments are actually correct. Whereas if you don't understand it that well and you're trying to criticize it, it's easy for the criticism to miss the point and you don't realize it. So I think that FI ideas can uh, win a contest when you do a comparison. You know, if you learn a bunch of ideas and you compare, uh, I think FI can do well in that competition. So I encourage people to learn a variety rather than just you know, stay away from the other ideas, they're bad. Um, don't compare, just learn mine. You know, that would be that would be what you would say if you had very low confidence in your ideas and their ability to outcompete other ideas. Another reason people have trouble with discussion is they make it too hard on themselves. Um, they have really high standards. They want to write things that are great. They want to write things that are as good as popper. Um, they want to they want to write polished things and if you want to have a lot of discussion which you need in order to learn a lot it'll work a lot better if you can write informal things um, not sloppy just informal and easier to write and you know you, things you can write quickly uh, things you can say as you go along things that don't take much editing you want to develop that writing style. It's a different skill than writing polished writing that you've edited three times. So learning to think about things quickly without being incompetent and learning to write quick informal stuff is a really important skill that you have to develop. You have to work on it. You have to practice that as a separate skill from like essay writing. So in school, people learn like essay writing, but you just need to learn like regular writing that's closer to a verbal conversation you would have. Um, you just want to be able to write similar to if you went to a study group, like a, say you went to an Ayn Rand study group and you read one Ayn Rand essay and chatted about it. 
uh, you want to be able to write things that are similar to that. You can also have verbal discussions, but writing is, uh, is better. It lets you talk with people online, so you can talk to a lot more people. You don't have to be in the same place. It lets multiple people talk at once. It lets everyone talk on their, same on their own schedule. Um, they can talk asynchronously. Like, you can write uh, at a good time for you, and then someone else can respond, like, hours later or a couple days later uh, when it's a good time for them. So there's a lot of convenience to writing. And then writing lets you have records of what, what was said, and you can quote things. You can look back and reread things. So writing is the best format, and you should aim for the majority of your intellectual work to be reading and writing. You know, variety is good. There's, there's definitely advantages to other stuff. So you can have some of it mixed in. But you should have more than 50% reading and writing. And then other stuff like videos and podcasts and IRL, verbal discussions, um, should be less than 50%. And I would also say that more than 50% should be public. And writing uh, is easy to do publicly. You know, you can have a blog, you can have a discussion forum on the internet, and just let it be public. Like, let anyone who wants, um, you know, read it and make comments. Like, don't, don't exclude people and discourage people, then you'll get less criticism and feedback. So yeah, learn to say things in a more casual way um, while still trying to make sense and be coherent and not make important mistakes. And you want to you learn how to quickly not make important mistakes, casually not make important mistakes, etc. Um, that's really important because if you're going to use ideas in your daily life, you know, most things you do in your daily life, um, you don't have editing passes you don't take your time with very much. You make decisions all the time and you talk to people all the time and it's just, it's quick and you don't get a lot of time to think. So you can, if you learn ideas uh, in a, a slow way where you could like write an essay, that will help you with big decisions in your life because when you're going to make a big decision, you can, you know, have several weeks to think, about, think it over and write notes to yourself about it and so on. Um, so that's, that's some use in your life. But if you want to make your life like really great, uh, you want ideas to help not only your big decisions, but your little decisions. You make tons and tons and tons of little decisions in your life and do uh, small, short things. So if you want ideas to help those things, then you need ideas that, are, that work fast and easy so that you can just use ideas uh, all the time. So you need to develop that so that you can discuss what you're reading a lot as you go along. And a particular thing you should be doing is analyzing writing. So not just writing about like the ideas about the topic, um, but actually just trying to figure out like what does this paragraph say? Um, being able to take words and understand them is really important, and that's the thing you should be practicing. And it is a, it's a somewhat separate skill from understanding the topic. A lot of people read in kind of a blurry way, and they figure out sort of what it's about, and then they think about like the topic they're reading about, say, economics. And so they get all these like blurry hints from the book related to economics, and they think about economics, and they learn some things about economics. Um, but there's also a skill of uh, reading what you're reading more exactly and, and figuring out what it actually says more specifically and more accurately. And then there's also related skills of like catching authors lying. Sometimes people lie, sometimes they try to manipulate you. Sometimes they put up false fronts. Um, sometimes they do social signaling. They suggest that they're popular and that other ideas are immoral or weird or insane. And there's all kinds of things people do that are outside like the, the strict intellectual debate 
that's just focused only on the ideas. And you want to be able to like catch that stuff and not be manipulated by it. And that is a, a bit of a separate skill than just understanding economics. So learning to do that kind of thing, to analyze what you're reading and see what's going on with it, um, both just what do the words mean, that's the place to start, but then also, um, like, why did the person write in this manner? Are they lying? Does the author have an agenda? Is there a bias here? Are they trying to trick you in some way? Um, are they leaving things out? Stuff like that. Um, where you go beyond just what is the author saying, like learning that, but you also question it and criticize it and bring in a bunch of like tangential stuff that's not what the book is actually talking about, but you can understand it in more ways and look at it in more ways. Um, that kind of stuff is really good too. And one of the problems, and this is very related to why books take so much work to understand, is there's a certain way books are written. And this is not just for the intellectual fakers. And there's a lot of intellectual fakers out there. And it's really important to be able to uh, see through them and, and see what's wrong with what they're writing, to, to analyze what you read well enough to see the difference between a faker and a good author. But um, even the good authors, there's something that's just universal for how books are written, which is they don't challenge the reader enough. They make it somewhat easy for the reader to read along, nod his head, agree with it, and think he understood it. Um, that's not just a, uh, a fact of reality about how books work. It's not just a difficulty inherent in learning. You know, it's partly that, but it's partly there's um, things authors do that make that problem worse. Um, they do not do enough to challenge their readers and uh, tell their readers, you probably don't understand this, here are ways to test if you actually understood it. Um, ask readers hard questions. There's um, educational materials, like for school and stuff, sometimes they have like quiz questions within the book. Um, but when they do, it's basically always uh, sort of, were you listening, were you reading along? Um, can you regurgitate what the book said? Can you repeat things the book said? And those kinds of questions are not challenging enough to know whether you actually understand like philosophy ideas and could actually use them and apply them yourself to something new. One, one of the signs that you actually understand ideas is when you can use them, like when you can create your own examples, when you can use them in a different situation, and especially a variety of situations, including ones that are significantly different than any of the examples that have been shown to you. And the kind of uh, quiz questions you get in more schooly books uh, are bad at that. Partly because they have to have like an answer key and, and keep it kind of, you have to keep it kind of simple if you want to have an answer key. Oh, and if they don't have an answer key, then it's just sort of a like food for thought question. Like think about this and see if you have any interesting ideas. And people will try that and they'll just, you know, there's no answer key to tell them they were wrong or they missed things or it wasn't very good. So. The ones that actually have an answer key where they could find out they're wrong have to be kept simple so that there actually can be an answer key. But anyways, like normal books don't have that at all. Um, if you read like a Karl Popper book, there's no quiz questions. There's no here's how to check if you actually understood anything in this book. Um, that's not included in the book. The book does not tell you understanding this is hard and you need to discuss it with people and study it. You need to take notes. You need to ask all of your friends for criticism. You need to find public forums and ask people who are not your friends for criticism so you can get more feedback because you don't have enough friends and so on. The book does not tell you that. It does not tell you how little you're understanding as you read it. Everything is written um, sort of with the implication that you read this and now you understood what you just read. That's how it's supposed to work. That's like the impression it gives. And so the authors do, are not contradicting that all the time. So I think books make themselves too easy to agree with, too easy to like, too easy to uh, have it feel like you're understanding it. Like they're, they're designed on purpose for people to feel like they're understanding it and agreeing with it and so on. Like they try to give that impression. Um, and they try to give that impression partly by, you know, making it true. But I think partly, um, you know, they avoid things that would contradict that impression and ruin that impression. Um, so I think it's all, it's partly a kind of psychological manipulation a little bit. Uh, well, some books a lot, some only a little bit.
And that's just sort of the default way books are written by everyone, including the best authors. Um, so that's, that's something I've pushed back on. Um, it's one of the reasons I don't have any books out yet. Um, I generally write like smaller, more informal things because there are things that are wrong with books. Um, but, but I've been thinking about how to make a better type of book. So maybe in the future I'll make a book. So these problems with books, um, there's a lot of gaps in books and you need to fill them in with, with extracurricular activities, with things other than reading the book. Reading the book's not good enough and it feels like it's good enough and that's a trick. And it's not just books, it's um, you know podcasts, YouTube videos, blog posts, etc. There's so much selective attention on like the positive things instead of like, you know, how often does the blog post end with, and here's like three things you probably still don't understand about this topic that are actually quite important. And, uh, you know, they, they don't really challenge you like that enough. I don't enough either. Like most of my blog posts don't uh, go out of their way to do that enough. Like there are certain things I do to make it like I'll write informally instead of formally to uh, so you don't just like trust the expert. Like I want to get you out of trust the expert mode. Um, and if, if it's obvious that what I've written is not super polished, um, it makes it clear to you that maybe there are mistakes in it. Maybe you should be thinking critically about this instead of just accepting everything the expert said. Um, so there, there's various things I do, but there's there's more I could do. And, and I'm especially um, aware of this issue um, more than other, more than virtually all other authors. Not presenting as an authority who has all the answers and like a polished finished form is one of the things I've put a lot of work into over time. But there are other things that I could do better. Like, yeah, what I was just saying about you can end stuff with like, here are some things you probably still don't, under, don't understand, or here are some hard questions. Um, unless you can write like really good answers to these that I would have no criticism of, then I don't think you understood the material that well. You know, things like that I could put at the end of blog posts. It's, um, they're like a little off topic, like it's kind of awkward, but it's also important, I think. It depends on, um, on the reader's goals as well, though. Because some readers, they just want to read it, learn a little bit, move on. Like they're not really trying to become that smart or great. So it's fine. And you, you don't necessarily want to ask them those challenging questions. Um, because it's not relevant to what they're doing. But those questions are relevant to the best people who are actually trying to become really, really smart and knowledgeable. Another issue is that like a lot of those questions are generic. So it makes more sense to have like, an essay where you understand, where you explain that it, you know if you've read the book, you don't understand it very well. Instead of putting that like as a as a footnote in every single book, it makes more sense to have like one essay explaining it, and then the person who actually cares, who actually is smart and is taking initiative and is really trying honestly to learn, um, you know, they can read the one essay, realize they don't understand much when they read, and then apply that to all the books without the book having to tell them each time. So there's. You know, there's various issues of pre presentation, but there's uh, there's definitely ways to do it better. There's there's room for improvement. And in the meantime, you know, the next hundred years or whatever, you have to be very careful of books. Um, and and of being really careful about how much you're actually understanding and how much you think you're understanding, and and trying not to get a false impression that because that false impression is one of the things that discourages people from asking for help asking questions for, okay, here's what I think it said, and this is my understanding. Is there anything wrong with this at all? And also, if you're going to do that stuff, you need to be persistent. Like, one of the common good ways to get feedback and help um, that, that lowers the burden on the people you're asking for help is you post your understanding of something, and they tell you one mistake. Not two mistakes, not all the mistakes, one mistake. And then Next time you post something, they tell you one mistake and you get one mistake per thing you say. And 
you revisit things over and over um, until there are no mistakes that they know of to tell you. And that doesn't have to happen all at once. Like you don't just have to focus on one thing and you keep redoing it until there are no mistakes. You can go back and forth. You can you can bring it up. You got one mistake. You learn something, and then and then you do something else and you got one mistake and you learn something. And then you go back and you do something that overlaps with the first thing partially and you got one mistake and you learn something and so on. But you can also sometimes just go back and try again like immediately. And it also happen naturally over time if you keep learning other things in the same uh, topic. But also, um, it's also worth just trying to get something right for a while just to see how hard it is. Like, like write like a short essay on like just one one important idea. Uh, short, like say five hundred words. And you know, ask for criticism, and then try to fix the mistake, and then ask for criticism again. And if someone tells you a mistake, try to fix it, ask for criticism again. And just keep doing that and see if you can actually improve it to the point that no one has any criticisms. And see how hard that is. And then realize like that's that's what it takes to understand stuff really well. And that's what it takes to understand stuff as well as the people who already know it, who earlier on I was saying you should get you know help and feedback from. If they're still pointing out mistakes, then you don't understand it as well as them. Um, of course, they could be wrong, and you can also debate them and, and say why you think something isn't a mistake. But um, but try not to be too arrogant and, and try to be open to uh, you might be wrong. And if you're going to decide the other people are wrong, you want to be like really clear on why and uh, do that in a more uh, more polished and thoughtful way. That's one of the times if you're so if you're just going to debate them like a little bit, it can be more like fast and informal. But if you're going to um, just decide they're wrong as like your final conclusion, that's that's a time when you want to do a more polished, uh, edited, thought out a bunch uh, thing. Because then you're like shutting down a bunch of further discussion. So you want to be really clear on exactly why you're doing that and exactly why you think that they're like clearly wrong and it's time to move on and, and give up on what they're saying. And you want, see, at that point, it's not just are they wrong or not. It's also your methodology for um, how you manage your discussions and deciding to move on and stuff. So you want to expose to criticism not only your viewpoint on the topic that you are disagreeing about, let's say economics. You also, in addition to explaining your economics arguments and why the other people were wrong about economics, you want to, at this point, explain your approach to discussion and why why is there an impasse in the discussion because like even if they were wrong about economics the discussion doesn't have to end there like they could learn something from you um so if the discussion is stuck you know if you claim that they're being unreasonable or irrational then in addition to covering the the economics issues you want to cover um what they did wrong in the discussion to create an impasse and get it stuck and why you're giving up or in the alternative, um, see, that that is sort of oriented to the problem situation of there aren't enough people who are interested in discussion, which is, I think if you're doing the intellectual thing right, you should actually run into that problem situation. Um, and if you find a lot of people interested in discussion, that is a sign you're not being adequately, adequately critical and off-putting and because most people like aren't honestly interested in criticism so if you're getting along with them and nothing's going wrong then you're probably just not being critical enough and not pointing out enough of their errors and not um not looking at other points of view to find out things they're missing um it's a lot easier to get along with this with people if you only are learning about their school of thought and not any rivals and so you're not challenging them but anyways so one one perspective is like there's not enough people who are intellectuals who want to learn, who are trying to learn, who are interested in discussion, who will have discussions, who will give critical feedback, etc. So every time you're going to reject someone, that's that's notable, and you want to explain like why why there's an impasse there. But then there's a there's a rather different perspective, which is what a lot of people claim the situation is, which is you know there's so much discussion, there's so many great ideas in the world um, that you need to filter for the best ones. So even if even if a discussion is not at stuck, not at an impasse, not broken, 
um, you could just say, well, it's lower priority than these other better ones I'm going to have instead. Um, so that is also a, a position you could take. Um, you know, I am more skeptical of that one. But, it, but if you want to take that position, that's fine. Just also write it down. Say, say what's going on. Um, you know, you think this form is better than that form. You think uh, you're going to have discussions in the following three ways all the time and not the other three ways. Um, you know, which ones are you prioritizing? Why? Um, why do you think they're better? And just expose all that methodology to criticism. Another very important thing to do while you're learning ideas is to debate opponents. Um, so not just learning from the people who understand the ideas, you also want to try to learn from people who disagree with the ideas. Um, it can be a bit awkward because the people who disagree are usually pretty ignorant of the stuff they disagree with, um, but you can still get some, some useful info because um, they're, they're trying to give arguments against what they think your position is. So you, you have to figure out what is your answer to that. What exactly are they ignorant of, um, do you think? And then, then you tell them that thing. So you, you say, I think the reason you disagree is you don't understand this part of the idea. So you're, you're misunderstanding it. So let me tell it to you. And then you tell them to, you tell it to them and you see where they, what happens next. Um, you know, do they change their mind? Do they argue a, a second point? Or do they uh, just start yelling at you and they don't want to discuss anymore? You know, or is there some way that the discussion got stuck and they're irrational? And then if you can find people who disagree and they actually, you know, are pretty familiar with the thing they're disagreeing with, that's even better. And, and you can find out in more detail what they think is wrong with it. And when I say people, this is both um, people who will talk to you in real time, you know, who are alive, who are willing to discuss with you. But you can also find, you know, a published article saying why Popper was wrong or you, know, you can find published critiques and stuff like that. And those are those are worth looking at and analyzing, too. And then one of the other things you should do is if you go debate, debate some opponents, you should then take your debate with those opponents and then run that by the, the proponents, the people who agree with it. And if you find popper experts and then anti-popper experts, and you go debate with the anti-popper people a bit, then you, you take what you were saying in your arguments and stuff, and you ask the, the pro-popper people, you know, am I doing this right? Um, do you see any mistakes in what I'm saying? And you can go back and forth, and you can see like which side has, has better answers. Um, like if you, if you're unsure, then you can go back and forth and you can, you can go to the anti-popper people and they give you a point and you're like, oh, that seems right. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. And then you take that to the pro-popper people and you see what they say and if they have an answer. And if they have a good answer, then you might change your mind and be like, oh, now I'm, now I'm pro-popper again. Popper seems right now that you point, put it like that. And then you take that back to the anti-popper people and you can keep going back and forth and trying to actually resolve the issue. And which is what people should do. You're, you want to actually like pursue debates to conclusions over time, um, not just you know we talked in person uh, and then it was dinner time so we stopped, but actually trying to get to the bottom of things, and uh, and also learning methods of getting to the bottom of things and organizing ideas is really an important part of learning, because um, you you need to learn not just about the subject itself, um, but you need to learn the methods of learning, of organizing ideas, of, of how to organize a debate so it actually reaches a conclusion instead of uh, getting stuck. Another really good thing about writing is that it's less emotional and social. Like it takes out voice tones and facial expressions and a lot of the ways people communicate social pressure and stuff like that. That's, um, that's why a lot of people like it less. Like they like those things. But if you care about the ideas instead of about um, social interaction with other people and social status and social dynamics, then you should favor writing. Um, not exclusively, but as the majority. So I hope this has uh, inspired you a bit and given you some ideas about what it takes to learn ideas and um, how to do it. And I hope some of you want to do it because without reason, uh, you will be lost in life. The unexamined life is not worth living, said Socrates. Um, if you're not critically thinking about what you do and you're just going along with you know, the first ideas people tell you or maybe the third ideas and you, you do some half-assed thinking, you know, that's not very good. You should try to do better. You should try to learn 
how to learn and, and how to judge ideas properly and, and do your best so that you can actually um, have informed judgments on things instead of getting caught up in propaganda or um, just traditional errors. There's, there's so many bad ideas in the world that are popular and widespread. And if you are not a good thinker, a critical thinker, and, and so on, and making that part of uh, something you can do quickly as part of your daily life, then you're just all the time going to be going along with errors. Um, most people in the world, their lives don't matter a lot. Like, they matter some. You know, maybe they make shoes, and shoes are useful, and that's good. Um, and there are a lot of people, so it adds up. You know, you have a lot of people contributing a little bit, and you get um, our modern standard of living, and that's nice. Although even there, it's, um, you know, our modern standard of living comes from Western people. It comes from Europeans and Americans and Canadians and Japanese people. And we're now getting um, China to help a lot. There's a lot of um, production, productive work being done in China. And that's good and helpful. It's, there are plenty of other countries I left out, but it's it's not the whole world. Like most of Africa is not contributing very much. Um, most Muslim countries are not contributing very much. But anyways, and the reason I brought that up is that the difference is ideas. Um, the countries with better ideas, better views of the world are more productive and contribute more. But then there's also a much smaller number of people, the people who actually use their brains a lot more um, and, and have the important ideas and make the important decisions and stuff. And the quality of their thinking makes such a big difference. And you can be one of them if you if you learn things. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing is a lot of people think like just being smart or being a genius or being, you know, a famous thinker um, is something you just have to be born into or get lucky or... Um, have genetic talent or something, you know, they, they just think it's unapproachable and it's not for them. They're just a normal person. And I think that's completely wrong. And anyone can learn. We're all, we're all capable. Our, our brains are good enough. You know, your bottleneck is not your brain. If you, it just takes, the biggest thing is honesty. You need to try to learn and you need to do it in a really honest way. Try really Seriously, not to fool yourself, not to rationalize, not to pretend you're already smart, not to hide your flaws, um, just to make an honest effort and if you're if you're really scrupulously honest, then uh, if you seek out the best criticism you can find from other people, and seek out, you know, read a bunch of books and spend a lot of time on it and actually care and focus on it. You, you can make progress and you can be one of the, the people who matters a lot in the world. You can contribute something big and if you want to. And you're, um, I guess it also depends on how old you are. Because, like, if you're 70, uh, then by the time you learn a ton, maybe you'll be 90. And it's it's fun. It's worth doing. Like, I'd still recommend it. You, you won't be able to make as much of a difference in the world, so you lose at least that motivation. But, you know, if you're 20 or 30 or 40, you have a lot of time left, probably. So you could, so you could still spend 10 or 20 years learning to be really, really wise and then still have a lot of time to use that and make a difference. I, I don't think um, I don't think changing the world or affecting the world should be your primary motivation, but I think it's uh, notable and worth worth considering. But your primary motivation should be like you want to know things, you care what's right, um, you want a better life, you know that errors, bad ideas are a threat to your own life and your projects. You know, lots of people their projects fail, they start businesses that fail, um, they have hobbies, they have goals, they don't succeed at their goals. You know. If you're smarter, you can succeed at more of your own goals and projects and stuff like that. That should be like the number one motivation. All right, well, good luck. And if you have questions, um, post them on the Fallible Ideas email group or on the Curiosity blog. Uh, go to one of the open discussions or just any, any post that is relevant and ask a question. Or uh, 
If in doubt, you can also just email me.